Welcome to this episode of Behind the Counter, The Beanery. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Adrian. And, and together, together we're spilling the beans. It's such a busy time of the year with the holidays quickly approaching. You know, there's so much joy and excitement that fills the air, but that's not the only thing that people um, are dealing with. A lot of, you know, grief and difficulties during this time as well. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, But for now, we're going to take a short break from our busy schedules and hear a very powerful testimony from Will Fairburn. We're here with Will Fairburn, and we're going to learn more about him today. Um, Will, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, I'm Will Fairburn. I've been coming to the Bayou Church since 2015, a father of two, uh, and married uh, to my wife, Jessica. And we've lived in Lafayette for about 10 years now, so I'm glad to be here with y'all. I'm a um, I'm a I'm a dad. I'm a I'm a Christian, and I'm also uh, the manager at the Super Target right next to the store. So don't judge me for that. But um, been been working in retail for 20 plus years and managing targets for 16 of those. So glad to be here to to share a little bit about myself with y'all. That's awesome. Absolutely, super excited to hear your story. Well, thank you. Is Target what brought you to Lafayette? It is. Yeah, my wife and I we were. Um, we had just had Elijah, and, and it was three months old. He was three months old, and um, they asked if I wanted to move to Lafayette because they needed me to come take over a store that had been without a store director for a time. And so that's what brought us here. And uh, we bought our first home ever in Lafayette. And uh, then, of course, oil ended up collapsing like right after we moved here, and we're like, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but it's been the best decision we've ever made is moving here. That's awesome. And you came from Monroe, right? Yeah, I was running the Monroe Target. So you told me like years ago an interesting story about the Monroe Target. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember telling me. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of interesting stories. I oh. mean, I've caught live <laughs> Like the birds. Duck Dynasty, the Duck Dynasty oh, yeah. people. Yeah. That one. The, the Duck Dynasty people, they, they come there a lot. And um, I think her name's Mama Kay or whatever her, the Duck Dynasty's mom's name is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They would pull up in their limousine and just park it right out front, like right in front of the doors. And then get out and just come inside and start shopping. And one night, uh, Mama Kay was in there and she was shopping. And I couldn't tell if she had a little too much to drink or whatever, but she had like two buggies full of like kids' clothes and stuff. And she's like, darling, can you help me? And I'm helping her shop. And and then my manager is going on the walkie like, who the owner of a limousine needs to move it from out in front of our store and it was just i don't know they were in there all the time but yeah duck dynasty is big in monroe and this is during peak duck dynasty you know 20 2013 2012 so they were still really popular and i saw uncle Cy driving around in like a red old school uh chevy um they're like local celebrities there it's kind of bizarre then you go to the duck dynasty and it's just this old building that looks like a little warehouse it's not anything impressive it's just this old build it looks like anything yeah. you would see off of you know yeah the side of the road just pass it right up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and they opened the duck dynasty diner there which is basically overpriced food it's not good so <laughs> that's usually how it goes yeah <laughs> but um yeah that brought us here we uh we moved to lafayette and i really i was baptized here i was baptized here i uh was raised by two atheist parents. Um, both my parents were doctors, and my mom was a veterinarian, and she became a veterinary pathologist. My stepfather was also a veterinary pathologist, and um, 
growing up, I did not have what would I would say a normal childhood. I would say I had a, a chaotic childhood. Uh, my father abandoned my family whenever I was young, and my brother and I um, basically were left to do what we wanted to do or could do. And so, being raised by a single mom for a long time, she she remained single. I learned uh, a lot of a lot of ways that of poor coping and not being really equipped to be basically a surrogate dad to my younger brother because there was no man in the house. And so it was interesting uh, growing up. There's a lot of you know drugs, alcohol, bad, bad, bad male influences. Uh, and then my stepdad, my stepdad came in the scene, and he was great, uh, is great, but. Um, Grew up playing sports competitively, ended up getting, um, after my friend passed away, ended up getting a, uh, the ability to go play football at Tulane in New Orleans. And I saw that as my way out. Uh, my mom begged me not to go. She told me that I would fail, that I was not smart enough to go to Tulane. Uh, told me that uh, you know, I would not amount, not that I wouldn't amount to anything, but that I needed to take a, a different path. Like it wasn't, school wasn't for me. Uh, because that's what she felt. It's like, you, you just don't go, don't do it. And then um, she saw that I wasn't going to fail. And it's like, well, don't be a doctor. Don't be like me. Don't be an idiot. And so I'm like, what do you mean, don't be a doctor? Don't be an idiot. Um, she was miserable. Veterinary medicine for 26 years, she, uh, she was working all the time. And pathology is different than an animal clinic. You're doing area, you know, malaria AIDS research. And so she lived in Africa, um, Australia. Growing up, I, I, she basically lived out of the country. And so really me and my brother were left to, to survive. Uh, not that she didn't support us financially or my stepdad didn't step up in those seasons. But, you know, my mom was a very, very independent woman. And uh, I remember one time she came back from Africa and she smelled terrible. Uh, and she walked up in the house. I smelled her before I saw her. And she's like, I'm home. I'm like, please go bathe. Like, you just smell terrible. Um, and so my mom's like, y'all are so spoiled. She's like, y'all need to throw your toys away. You know, they don't have furniture in Africa and started going this whole tirade. But uh, bottom line is my parents were atheists, didn't go to school, uh, did, went to school, but didn't go to church, not churched at all. My mom completely against religion, not against us finding our own God, but against us going to any kind of church. Organized. Organized, yeah. My grandfather escaped the or my grandmother escaped the holocaust my great-grandmother and she was jewish and my 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 grandfather who i never met died of lung cancer his name was raven dave davison he actually ran the jazz station in baton rouge 102.5 he had like louis armstrong on the show i mean i got a picture in my house of louis armstrong and my granddad it's autographed and so it's like the only keepsake i have but he was raised in the bronx uh, so a Jewish man, and he didn't let my mom know he was Jewish until he was on his deathbed because he was afraid. His mom told him, like, you don't tell anybody that you're Jewish because they're going to come and kill you. Um. Like, she, and during that time, you know, you didn't, that wasn't something you were proud of is your Jewish heritage. You, like, hid it from people. And so um, on my mom, on his deathbed, my, um, my grandfather confessed that. And then my mom, almost on her deathbed, confessed that to me. Like, she kept that a secret from me for a long time. And so I grew up not really knowing who I was. I grew up in an abusive household. My father's side was very abusive, lots of uh, alcohol use. Go to college, get a degree in uh, finance, and then realized I hated finance. Uh, I didn't like the way that I was, you know, it's not that I couldn't handle it, I'm good with numbers, but I didn't feel like I was fulfilling my purpose. 
Uh, what I knew is that when I was on the field, when I was doing sports, when I was being competitive, I loved I loved um, that leadership, that camaraderie that comes with leading people. And so that's really where I pivoted. Uh, I went to a career fair in New Orleans and Target was there. They interviewed me and 600 people on the spot. Like they had this giant room set up to interview people and there were so many people, it was crazy. And they hired me and one other person. Wow. And so when they told me that, I was very like, wow. And they're like, yeah, we're gonna send you overnight and you're gonna, you're gonna work overnight. And I did that. I went and worked overnight for years and that made my relationship tough with my wife at the time, but made it through and, and worked my way up to be a store director. And right now I'm managing the biggest store in the country, which is the one right, right next to this <laughs> store or this church. Uh, it's a $130 million plus store. And so that's a ultra high volume store. It's a hundred and, uh, well, I can't say the numbers, but it's millions and millions and millions of dollars and it's hundreds and hundreds of people. It's about 400 people we manage there. Wow. And so it's uh, 36 managers that report directly to me and then I've got a team of 400. And so going through my life, child, really try, trying um, childhood, growing up and going into uh, school, completing college, I always felt like I would never measure up. That whole, you, you never, you shouldn't go do this, you shouldn't do that, I'm worried about you going here, I'm worried about you doing that. Um, I wanted to basically prove my mom wrong uh, and prove myself right. And I wanted to get affirmation from my father that was never going to come, especially not through grades or anything like that. The only time he showed up was for sporting events, and that was fleeting. And so I get, I get the job, I'm doing well, but then, you know, we end up uh, adopting or fostering my niece. My niece was born with fetal alcohol syndrome. Now, that's terrifying when you you go from one kid to three. We had just had Micah and we had my niece and my niece was, my wife just went to the hospital and got her and she was a preemie and took her home. And so my wife and I went from one kid to three overnight. And so raising my niece uh, really uh, was challenging because she had fetal alcohol syndrome. And anyway, I uh, really reached a whole nother level of like exhaustion, desperation, not really understanding uh, what I what I could do and I had just asked God to use me and I'm like geez God thanks a lot you gave me this baby that's sick and needs me and even though I asked you to use me why couldn't it be something cool like why couldn't I you know you know people say use me and then they go on and start companies and do all these things and you know that's what you anticipate yeah. you know but that was my own feeble beliefs that that was going to happen not that he would use me to save this little girl's life Anyway, my wife and I take her in. She's less than five pounds or she's just at five pounds. I have to take her to the hospital, even though she just left the hospital because the conditions that she came from were so terrible mm -hmm. that she had thrush and she had all kinds of issues. Mm -hmm. And so I go to the hospital and then for months and months and months, trying to feed her a bottle was, was hard. Trying to raise her up was hard, but we got her healthy. We got her moving in the right direction. Now my sister-in-law was addicted to drugs and alcohol and her, the baby's father was incarcerated. So all signs point towards we're going to adopt this baby. But then my sister-in-law started making death threats, saying she was going to kill me, take my kids, saying we kidnapped her baby, all this crazy, and then that she was going to send the husband in. Bottom line is uh, we did not feel safe. I mean, there was times where I was crawling on the floor of my house with a nine millimeter waiting for somebody to break into my house because oh I was just sure that that was going to happen. And so those threats were real. We ended up... Uh, making the hardest decision in my life, which was not being able to keep her because we were fearful that she would be harmed or my family would be harmed. That sent me spiraling. Like, um, I ended up starting to, 
use drugs the wrong way, use antidepressants the wrong way, and I was prescribed Xanax, which was very dangerous. And I didn't know that at the time. I didn't. I just took what was prescribed for anxiety. Well, I started getting really bad off on that, and I started making really poor decisions, and somehow kept my head above water, and still was able to function at work. Ended up uh, getting addicted. I started um, really losing myself. Um, and it created a rift between my wife and I because I viewed her as the person that sent this child away. But in reality, she was doing what was best for the baby. And so for me, uh, it was hard. And I ended up separating from my family. I, I lost it. I literally one night told my wife I was never coming back. I couldn't do it anymore. Uh, in reality, I was trying to shift everybody away from me. And I was mm -hmm. trying to isolate myself because I couldn't, I couldn't understand how I could raise this little girl and love her like a dad and then have her taken away. Um, that was only part of it. The other side of it is I was, I was sinning. I was doing all these terrible things. I was, you know, using, um, using, uh, inappropriate things online, viewing things I shouldn't have been viewing. I was listening to things I shouldn't have been listening to. I was talking to people I shouldn't have been talking to. Um, and that developed into a terrible, uh, relationship with another woman. Now I'm out of my home. I'm separated. I'm off in, the, in doing these terrible things. I'm blaming my wife for all the things that have happened. However, in reality, I was just hurt and trying to fill this God-shaped hole in my heart with anything that would make me happy. Well, nothing would and nothing could because that's not where happiness comes from. And so I end up in this place of desperation. I end up in this house. I end up uh, not wanting to live and I try to take my life. And uh, so I ended up taking an entire bottle of Xanax and eating it, the whole thing. And I drank an entire liter of vodka and I was ready to die. Like wow. I, I cried out to God as like, you choose death or life. And I remember collapsing and then not feeling anything. And then uh, I woke up the next day and I don't know how I woke up the next day and how I don't have brain damage or how I didn't die. Well, I, I do know how. I mean, God kept me alive. I wanted to take the easy way out, which was killing myself. The reality was, as God said, no, you're not going like this. I've, I've raised you up. I've made you stronger than this. Like you're going to have to look yourself in the mirror and there are going to be consequences. You're going to have to face these things. And so end up waking up the next day and it felt like I was seeing light for the first time. It felt like I was seeing grass for the first time. I felt this overwhelming, um, desire to live because I had done everything I could to kill myself. I had isolated myself from my family. I had hurt people, uh, I had done terrible things. I had abused drugs, I abused people and I didn't die. And I could not reconcile why, you know, I was, I was like, I can't even get my death right. You know, I'm a failure. But the reality was, is God would not let me go. And I, uh, I went to this event at my son's daycare and buckling him into his car seat, he, looked at me and he said, dad, don't come home. You hurt me and mom. I don't love you. I don't want to see you again. And that was the moment that my heart shattered. It was the first time that I saw the nature of my sin. It's the first time that I ever felt the gravity and the weight that I needed to feel. You know, Ezekiel 36, 26 says, you know, I will take your stony heart and I will remove it from you and I'll give you a fleshly heart and I and you will walk in my statutes for all of your days. I'll, I'll put a new spirit within you. And so that moment coupled with me trying to hurt myself and take myself out of the picture was just the beginning of me rising.
Mm-hmm. So I go on, get my master's degree, get an MBA from UL. I start a nonprofit. I uh, decide I'm going to start a nonprofit. It's going to be called Be the Word. And we're going to go out into these rough neighborhoods and we're going to hand out Bibles and we're going to talk to people and we're going to bring the Bible to these bad areas. And so we've given over a thousand Bibles away doing that and going into these rough neighborhoods. I've been to Ildecon, which is a really rough neighborhood. I've been to uh, Marini Circle, which is down there near my house. God told me at a stop sign, go there. Didn't understand why. Um, but we've gone to that neighborhood three separate times to minister to people that are literally on the streets. There's kids walking around with guns. Like it's just, oh it feels gosh. like the wild west out there. And so we go out there and um, we hand out Bibles and we preach the word of God. And the coolest thing is we show up on our first day to do this. And I'm like, what do we do? We'll park next to the swimming pool that has a bunch of broken furniture in it. And we just get out of the car and we look different. <laughs> it's me and two dudes, two white guys, two Caucasian guys. And this, this neighborhood is primarily African-American and uh, Latino. And half the people don't even speak English. Well, I'm, I'm bilingual. I could speak Spanish. And so we go into this neighborhood and we just start talking to the people. And they are so hungry for the word of God and so encouraged. We walk up and there's these dudes I think they were smoking a joint and they were throwing dice like they were rolling dice and they were shirtless like all four of these young guys and we walk up and I remember walking up they all like back away from me like I'm a cop and they're like hey what are you what are you doing here I'm like I just want to tell you about Jesus and then they were even more scared (laughs) wait a minute (laughs) what and I'm like can I just tell you about Jesus and what he's done for me Uh, and I'm like can we hold hands as men and pray Uh, and so me uh, my friend Travis um my friend Daniel and uh, these four men knelt on the ground in front of these dice and smelled like marijuana and, and we're, we're praying and we're praying for this neighborhood and like it was just a very cathartic moment and I knew in that moment okay this is why you sent me here and uh, so this, this ministry that I do this has been a lot of fun but it is dangerous mm-hmm. like the people that have gone with me I, I, at first I made them sign waivers because I don't want to be responsible for something happening to you Right. Yeah. Um, and that sounds crazy, but the reality is, like, these are very, very rough areas that people don't necessarily, um, you're necessarily, they don't even want, they don't want people around. They want to be bothered. But we go around with popsicles and hand them out to kids. We talk to them about the Word of God. We hand out coffee. We did that. We brought a big old ice chest full of coffee. Uh, and it's been amazing. That It's been amazing. And then from there, I decided, you know what, I, I think this is good, but I don't necessarily know if like churches would be wild about wanting to support a ministry like this. It's kind of kind of out there, you know. And so the reception was mixed. You know, some people are like, "Man, I love what you're doing, but that's you, man. I ain't going with you." Or, right. "Hey, you know what? That sounds awesome. People need to hear the word, but you know, what, are you objectifying people? Are you are you like putting them in a position to where they're gonna, um, you know, feel like you're ostracizing them or making them feel bad? And mm. and so you're, you're not giving them the option. You're kind of just going there with the Bible. And so um, haven't stopped the ministry, but have pivoted. And at this point, started a podcast, uh, just like you guys, which I'm really excited about. And that podcast is. Um, beloved by God, it is on all the, the syndicates. But beloved by God became this testimony podcast, so people can share their life story and what's happened to them. And so my non-abbreviated version of my my testimonies on there. But some of the things that I wanted to highlight is celebrate recovery is really what saved me. It saved my marriage. Uh, my wife begged me to go, and whenever I was in my muck in my my worst place ever. 
she asked me not once, not twice, but three times to go with her. And on the third time, I consented. And I got there, and I'm like, that's just for crazy people. Like, I'm not going there. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem, you know, even though I just tried to take my life. And uh, walked through the doors, and people were super friendly, and started getting involved and plugging in, and then realized pretty quickly the benefits of this program. Like, okay, it's a power greater than myself. So there's no expectation that I have to change and or I have to figure this out on my own. There's people around me here that love me. Yeah. There's a God that I have I've been baptized to, but don't have a relationship with. So there was this there the Holy Spirit wasn't living within me when I got baptized. And I think people need to understand that. Like it's one thing to profess the name of Jesus with your mouth. It's another to really have him in your heart. Right. And it wasn't until my heart broke and shattered that I had the Holy Spirit in me. So there was this this desire to reconcile. There was this desire to get better. But I didn't know how to do it. I didn't have the tools to do it. And so Celebrate Recovery equipped me to do that by teaching me the biblical steps and principles. And then going from there, a year later, I'm helping run a chapter of Celebrate Recovery at another a local church here. I was too ashamed to come to the bayou because... There's people that knew what I had done because they were supporting my wife when I was out of the home. They were taking care of my family. And I felt I felt shame. I felt mm. deep shame to come here. The reality is, though, um, that was just my ego. That was just me feeling like I, I couldn't show up. And so uh, eventually I come to the bayou. And um, it was right after COVID. I start coming to the, the Bayou Church's Celebrate Recovery. And they had been doing um, chips from cars. And COVID kind of shut everything down. So when I showed up, there might have been 25, 30 people. Very, very small group. And God told me that I needed to just stay, stay in it and help in any way possible. And then one day, Lynn goes on stage, and he's like, I'd like to announce our new uh, ministry leader, Will Fairburn. And I'm, I had no idea he was going to do that. <laughs> oh, no. And so I wasn't ready. Uh, but I, I was. I was ready. You were I had been praying. Right. And so, but I was caught off guard by that. But it was like out of the furnace into the fire. And so I was grateful for the opportunity. And so for the last two years, I've been helping build this ministry up. And we've gone from about 25, 30 people uh, to 80 to 120 people and child care went from no child care to hey we got to have child care it's for the single moms like I, I was really a big proponent for that in the beginning because i had seen it work at other branches mm-hmm. and so we brought that here and the bayou church was really supportive of that and so when we started doing the child care we started seeing the opportunity there to other for other ministries you know single and parenting grief share financial peace, all of the umbrellas of the care ministry are on Monday nights and with good reason because we can support it and facilitate it. Mm-hmm. And so coming to CR here was an amazing experience and have built a leadership team. We have 26 leaders that are, most of them go to church here. Um, but the thing that I want to say about Celebrate Recovery is it's not just for addicts. About two thirds of the people that actually go aren't addicted to drugs or alcohol. Uh, and so there's a stigma about it. And I just ask anybody that might be listening and wondering what CR is. It is a Christ-centered recovery group. And it's everything from anxiety, depression, whatever. Uh, God will heal all of it. And uh, when I first showed up at CR, they had this list of things that it supported. And the only thing on the list that I hadn't done was divorce. But I was so close to divorce. Right. And so if God can take me from the brink of you know, death... Right. and raise me up and use this program to help me equip myself but also help others now it's kind of like i've become an emt because i'm equipped to handle it i see men in crisis and people connect me with men in crisis and so i walk alongside them i'll go into their house like i'll do what i have to do i'll pull them out 
uh, and show them like what what's really going on here. And so right now I'm sponsoring nine men and these nine men I love dearly. And somebody would tell you that's way too many men. I don't think it's enough because I have the capacity to handle it. God has equipped me. And so rather than say, God, take away, I ask God to give me more capacity. Wow. And so at this point, it's all about helping people, families in crisis, people that have been through marriage crisis. Uh, I think God has opened my eyes and given me the ability to see sin for what it is and has given me a desire to never go back to the ditch because I always realize that you're one step away. And there's no person on the planet that's immune to sin. There's no person on the planet. I never thought I would be that person to do all the terrible things that I did. But I also never thought that I had a God that loved me so dearly that he would be willing to raise me up out of that and give me a desire to fight for my family. And going back into a house like that, into your house where you left and abandoned your family and fighting for your marriage, that takes a lot of courage to do. It also takes a lot of humility and it takes a lot of it takes a lot of, honestly, it takes a lot of, I'm trying to think of what I want to say here. It takes a lot of humility and it takes a lot of prayer and it takes a lot of just downright relentless pursuit of reconciliation. There's no way about it. And, and so once we did that, my marriage has become stronger than ever. My wife and I have a great relationship and she also walks alongside women that have been through trauma. And so it's something that is a unique experience to us, but we're able to help couples in crisis now. And so what the enemy meant for evil uh, surely was turned to good. And uh, now God has put on my heart to start another company, you know? <laughs> and so, by the way, I, I got diagnosed as obsessive compulsive. And when I was, I, I went to a hospital for my mental health. And then they also diagnosed me bipolar. And so I said that for the first time from stage two years ago. And I can't tell you how many people came up after the service and thanked me for talking about my mental health. Mm -hmm. Because when people hear the word bipolar, they immediately like grab their purse and they're like, he's crazy. Get away from this guy. Yeah. But I'm very high functioning and I wouldn't change any of it because I view my obsessive compulsive disorder, my bipolar disorder as superpowers. You know, what I didn't understand is like the disease controlled me. And it wasn't until I was able to define what that disease was that I could defeat it. Because I believe Absolutely. you can define any, if you define it, you can defeat it. Yeah. And so being properly medicated, going through cognitive behavioral, you know, therapy, being able to surround myself and understand the disease, I'm able to contain it. And I'm able to, con and I'm, it's not controlling me any longer, the mania and things that went along with it. But if I talk fast or if I'm all over the place, it kind of makes a lot of sense now because my childhood anxiety, it came out and manifested in the form of these, these mental health issues. So if you're in crisis with mental health, if you ever feel like taking your life, 988, you can text that, you can call that. That's a suicide prevention line. Somebody will answer your call. I wish I would have made that call because I, I could have died. And so for me, it's important to plug those things. But God is raising me up to help couples in crisis, help marriages in crisis, use Celebrate Recovery at the church to lead people to Christ. Last year, we had three people that weren't members of the Bayou Church come to Celebrate Recovery. And not only did they start coming to Celebrate Recovery, they started coming to the Bayou and they were baptized. And so it's really incredible to see how God is using this program to save people's lives. Wow. And we have an, another man who had been addicted to methamphetamine for 27 years and did not find freedom here until recently. And he has two years of sobriety and he has led other people to sobriety. And so it's this, this whole cycle of insanity. It's like replanting a family tree 
And my family tree is very fragmented with a lot of dead branches. So it's like, I'm going to plant something new. And I'm not going to repeat what I saw in my family of origin, the abandonment, the, all the t- terrible things. I'm going to plant a new tree and I'm going to grow it. I'm going to be the dad that I, I was trying to wanted. be. I wanted to be. Yeah. And I'm not going to let the devil take me out of the picture because mm-hmm. if he can kill the father, yes. he can kill the whole family. Amen. And so I think the power, the, the thing that people need to understand is like all these kids that are going around doing these bad things, they seem like these bad kids. We have an epidemic in America and it's fatherlessness. Mm-hmm. It's men not being men and not stepping up to the plate and abandoning ship because that's what society normalizes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to do that. It's just the way things are. If you don't like your marriage, just walk right out. You can mm-hmm. go get a new one. It's just like we, we treat things as like temporary when marriage is more than temporary. It's, mm-hmm. it's a bond. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, it's a yoke between a man and a woman and it that should not be broken. And I'm, so I'm fighting for my marriage every day now. And I see my marriage as different because I don't view it as temporary. I view it as forever. It doesn't mean you don't, if your marriage is terrible that you shouldn't work on it. It just means that if your marriage is not where it needs to be, where are you in your relationship with God? Yeah. Where are you? Yeah. Because I don't think your marriage can be healthy if there's secret sin, if there's no talking, if there's no communication. I think it requires full authenticity. It requires meaningful conversation. You know, the average person has less than five meaningful minutes of conversation with their spouse each day. Oh, wow. And so my wife and I, we do a Fano's check-in every night. It's feelings. It's affirmation. It's uh, what do you need? Uh, what, uh, what, what do you own? Where did you mess up? But where did you also do something good? And then what is your sobriety like? So I have to look right. my wife in the eye each night and we talk through those things Thanos sounds like Thanos from Marvel but Uh it's Thanos F-A-N-O-S and so we force the meaningful conversation and yes it was awkward at first but now it's become one of the best parts of our day and what's used to take maybe 10 to 15 minutes to grudge through has it turned into something that is actually something we enjoy and we spend hours talking now and so that's really where the healing started was figuring out how do we communicate with each other how do we stop the cycle of insanity how do we identify what our triggers are? And then how do we stay grounded in our biblical, um, the word of God? And so the other business that I was talking about before I got distracted was I'm starting a company. It is a Christian-based company, and it's called Grateful Crate. And so it is a box subscription box service. Uh, my wife and I have already started budgeting for it, but I'm going to support Christian artisans, Christian men, products, whatever, it is going to be a subscription box service. And the other thing is, is it has intrinsic value. So every box that's purchased will help other nonprofits, will help buy clean water, buy things for people. So it's basically a nonprofit for nonprofits. For nonprofits. That's and That's so we're going to, really cool. it's going to go off. And the people that I've shared this with, y'all, they're like the third and fourth person. Um, but I'm going to make it happen because God has put it on my heart and my mind and it's going to happen. And so I've talked to Wise Counsel. Um, Grateful Crate is going to run live and we're going to end up shipping boxes all around the country. The The best service for that right now, they ship out about 100,000 boxes a month. And so for me, it's like you, there'll, there'll be things like Bibles, foods, you know, whatever I can put in that box that is going to inspire somebody. Um, and even exciting things in there that people wouldn't expect to get. But it's just, it was a concept, it was a thought, and it was probably the first thought that I had that I shared my wife with, and she's like, I really like that idea. And so then I knew, I knew that I knew that it was time to, to start moving there. So I've got a, 
a shed that I have in my backyard. You know, every business starts in a garage or a shed, awesome. you know, yeah. and that's where it's, it's happening. And so I'm working on, I've got another man that I'm working on the design of the box. He's like, man, we could build an arc. And like that each box can look like an arc. I'm like, that's really, that's, that's intense. I don't that, know. That sounds awesome. It does but sound awesome. But can uh, we that, mass produce this? Can we produce an arc? <laughs> you know, golly, that's a, that's a ambitious. Maybe that, we'll, that's a lot. Maybe yeah. we'll build up Eventually. to that. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's kind of, you know, my, my two cents and, and kind of where I'm at. I know that was a lot and there hasn't even really been a question asked other than introduce yourself, but uh, I'm, no. I'm all ears. So if there's any other questions that y'all have. No, I'm very happy that you were raw and vulnerable because as we say at the Bayou Church, rescue people, reach people. Right. If we're not going to open up and share that, we're not going to be able to reach people. Right. Because yeah. everybody And here. so much of your story, you know, for me, it's the first time meeting you today, Will, and so much of your story is similar to mine. Yeah. Um, my husband and I, he is an alcoholic. He's been in recovery for going on 18 months now. Yeah. Um, but very similar, you know, two years ago, or actually about a year and a half ago, we were in the trenches. Right. We were separated as a family, mm -hmm. um, but we have come together and we fight. We yeah. fight every day for right. our marriage. Um, and that's truly, you know, that's that's a you, you learn so much you know a lot of it is the community and the atmosphere here and the people you surround yourself with but at the end of the day it truly is about your relationship with god and where that foundation is right we never started on a firm foundation we were always on shaky ground mm -hmm. and a lot of that has to do with you know core childhood right issues um but you know accepting it realizing it overcoming it and standing where we are today i can say just like you that my marriage has never been better right um but it does it starts it starts with the basics it starts with just a relationship with god communication with your spouse um you know things like that it's just it's not easy but it's worth it it is worth it so my question for you i kind of want you you talked about celebrate recovery and who could benefit from it could you tell us more about the logistics of that here at the church because like the day and the time could you mm -hmm. go over that because yes. some people might be listening saying oh man that's for me right. i want to check right. out celebrate recovery mm -hmm. so we meet here every monday night at 6 30. um you can show up earlier child care opens at 6 15 so you can drop your kids off at 6 15 and it's every monday night including Christmas. I volunteered myself. We're going to be here on Christmas and we're just doing small groups that night. No childcare Christmas night, but we know there is a need for a meeting every Monday night. Mm -hmm. And so I'm grateful Absolutely. to the church for providing that for us. But at 630, uh, you show up, you go into a large group. We have fellowship. Ed Gore and his worship team are incredible. They do a great job um, with the beginning of the service. From fellowship, it goes into either a teaching or a testimony. Uh, and we, we rotate those things. You'll learn about the biblical uh, eight steps and the biblical principles, but you'll also uh, hear a message. You'll hear somebody's testimony. And that was really the inspiration for Be the Beloved by God is the testimonies I heard mm -hmm. were my favorite part of CR. Right. And so that kind of spurring, well, I want these things to be an archive. I want these things to be something somebody can plug into. Right. So we have the testimony night. We have the teaching night. We also have fellowship. You know, we, we, we are fully funded, too. So we have very generous people that give to Celebrate Recovery. And so we fund every quarter a fellowship where we'll get together and eat and drink. Uh, but we do a large group and we, we worship, we learn together. And then the real work happens when we large groups over, we go into a small group situation. And so each small group, 
we'll we'll go and take each team and we'll go and and have this conversation we'll talk about things we'll get real we'll talk about things and so i think there's a lot of healing in the small groups and so for me it's like we have we have three women's groups and we have three men's groups for the women we have life issues uh which is anything um that's anxiety depression you know what 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 have you anything that's a life issue we have our women's codependency group which codependency i'm now realizing i'm codependent on top of everything else of course (laughs) right uh and so codependency is basically uh worrying about somebody else's problems you know more than they are in you know it's it's kind of pushing yourself into an unhealthy relationship trying to control outcomes and so codependency is, is a big deal and so we have a women's group for that and then we have an addiction women's group uh the addiction women's group we're incredibly blessed with some leaders there that have been through it have overcome and i will tell you the difference between the men's groups and the women's groups is we have a lot more men in the addictions groups than we do women but we still have a very healthy women's ministry and so that we started with one group now we have three women's groups and then on the men's side we have a men's addiction group which is our larger group usually has to split into two groups subgroups because it's so big uh, we have a men's life issues group, which is exactly the opposite of the women's life issues group. And then the unique group that we have for men is the men's sexual integrity group. Now, that group is unique to men because there is an epidemic out there in America, which is pornography and the viewing mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. And so men need to be able to understand that that's not normal. Like, and it's, But it's also, it's okay to say it out loud, it's not normal. And this group is specifically for those men struggling with that addiction because men and women struggle with it, but men specifically, it, it's what's taking fathers out of the household. It ultimately is what drug me out of the household is, is that addiction, it, it's, it's it, you know, lust is one of those addictions, it's like an empty stomach. It's never satisfied. No matter how much you view, no matter how much you watch, no matter what you take in, you're never full. And so for me, it was like, it was important for us to, to talk about that. And so we have a very good group of men uh, that talk about their addiction and then have a lot of sobriety from that addiction, years and years of sobriety from that addiction. And when you view, you know, the sex is not a need, but an actual uh, a relationship between a man and a woman, a bond between a man and a woman, uh, the way that God intended it to be an intimacy between a man and a woman, you view things differently. Mm -hmm. You know, all the devil does, he doesn't make anything, he doesn't create anything, he's not a creator, he's a deceiver, he's a liar, he -hmm. manipulates things, he takes things to extremes. He says, eat that apple, you need to eat that. You know, God's hiding things from you. You know, take that, you know, and and all all the the things that we do on Monday night is, is to really help people understand that what you're doing right now is just an extreme of what God intended it to be. So if you're overeating, you're eating to an extreme. If you're viewing lust as this thing that you need, you're doing that to an extreme. If you're drinking to an extreme, it's all these extremes. And then understanding you're not alone and you're not a freak and you shouldn't be ashamed of that. You should come to these groups and learn how do you cope? How do you process? How do you healthfully cope? How do you not go off the deep end? And every time something in life goes wrong, you go back to your addiction and you go back to isolation and you go back to Satan because that's where he keeps you in bondage is when he can separate you from the pack. But when you come Monday nights, you know, we're not going to make you feel weird. I mean, we're not going to intend to make you feel weird. We're going to (laughs) make you feel loved. And I think it's really where you see people behaving as Christians should be behaving, you know, loving, encouraging and, and, and really supporting one another. And so Monday nights are a very unique experience here. And if I could do anything differently uh, for Celebrate Recovery, 
uh, I would I would change the name to like celebrate freedom because that word recovery comes with such a stigma. It's not just drugs and alcohol, although we treat those things. We treat the entire family. We have the landing, which is teenagers, uh, basically you know children that are preteen teenagers in one group. We have an incredible leader of that ministry that's got a master's in child psychology, uh, and so we're very equipped to handle teenagers. Uh, we average between 15 and 20 teens, which is great. We have the celebration place, which is ages, you know, just above kindergarten all the way through before preteen. So they're getting the word of God every night they come here on Monday nights. So ages first grade all the way through teenager, they're doing curriculum. They're not going to go in depth to some of the topics the adults will. It's it's catered to the age range, mm-hmm. but they're going to learn about Christ and it's going to be grounded in the fundamentals of the Bible. And so they're going to leave here being taken care of because this impacts children as much as it impacts adults. And so we have that here. We have that ministry here that takes care of the child as well. And there's community with those children as well. And they're safe. And we also have security. Not that we've ever had anything happen on a Monday night, but there is security here. It is a safe place. Uh, And then you've got people like myself and Brandy and Linton here that are making sure that things are running the way that they should be. And that's what my job is as a ministry leader is to make that th- make sure things are safe and make sure that this thing's running the way that it should. And we're not deviating from what Saddleback initially wanted Celebrate Recovery to be. And so that's kind of what Celebrate Recovery is. Monday night, 630. Uh, hope to see you guys there. That's awesome. So for my last question before we close out, talking about the Grateful Crate, how can we just either Adrian and I or listeners or whatever, like keep up with that to get updates on that. Like, do you have that up and running yet or you'll be? I'm, my goal is for 2024 to be the rise of that. Okay. And so for me, it, it was a concept turned into, you know, buying the website, turned into getting, you know, the LLC to getting all the stuff done to starting a budget because my wife and I are financial peace people. Uh, so I'm putting money into it to get it off the ground. Uh, I think if anything, just pray over it. Uh, pray that I can bring it to fruition because I do think it'll be uh, powerful and I do think it'll work. And it's again, it's not for me to, I don't want to get rich. Like I already have more money than I need. I'm happy. I have enough. It's really to spread the word of God in a creative way and get local businesses and Christians the ability to share their products and uh, get them in the hands of people. And I I think it's unique. And so just pray over it and uh, God will take care of the rest. So that is awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Will. Yes. Thank, you thank you for so much just for your time this morning. Yeah, yeah. laying it out there and sure. speaking to us and and explaining more about Celebrate Recovery. Absolutely. And sharing your own testimony. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate y'all. Thank you. It's testimonies like Will's that is just so encouraging and and motivating to have community and have that support in our lives and not go through life alone. Absolutely. Um, you know. We don't ever want anyone to feel singled out, especially on their journey um, through life, whatever they're going through. So just know that there are people like Will. We have many different organizations and community structures around here, small groups or other people that you can meet with um, just to talk things through. But know that Stephanie and I are always available. We're, we're a quick Facebook message or email away, or you can find us on any Sunday behind the counter.